But anyway, thank you so much for having me be part of your community. And I say your community, but I really mean my community, because as I see faces and read names, my heart grows tender because of the love and support and community I've experienced from CBC and all the leadership and all the lay people. And it's just been such a gift to be part of your community. So thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Um, a few uh, disclaimers to begin with. Um, some of the material I'm gonna be sharing today, I have shared in a different context in the past. I, shared, I did a retreat several years ago called, called Be the Peace You Want to Be. And we talked about hope in that retreat. And so some of the material I'm gonna be sharing is from that retreat. So anybody who went on that retreat may say, oh, wait a minute, I've heard this before. And I ask you to just heed the Apostle, Paul, the Apostle Paul's advice when he said, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. You know, if you hear something once, it doesn't hurt to hear it twice. So I'm praying that the Lord will multiply the blessing of my words and my heart's preparation to you all. So um, here we are, January 2nd, 2022. Remember a year ago, on the beginning of January 2021, we were anticipating that the next year would be so different. We had great hope that we were going to have some degree of return to normalcy. But here we stand, I don't know, maybe even a little bit more fearful and uncertain because the numbers are so changeable as far as COVID is concerned. You know, one day you can go about without masks, the next day you have to wear them. It's just so, in my world, I feel like it's unpredictable. So in some ways I'm entering 2022 with um, not a great confidence, like, you know, oh, it's all going to be great, but with some degree of uncertainty and fear, and not only from COVID, I mean, our world's crazy. There's violence in schools that's unseen in the past. There's countries threatening other countries. There's um, <laughs> all kinds of um, things that might try to um, squash our hope. And I know in my life, I personally have some some reasons why 2022 sounds scary to me. And some of you know that I, I'm, I have cancer and I've been uh, fighting it for this brand of cancer. I've been fighting since 2015. And it, they give me a treatment and they say, we got it. And then months later, uh-oh, it's shown up again. So it continues to rage in my body. That That's scary and that's frightening. I have... Um, Personally, in my world, uh, my dog is sick. That, that worries me. I'm not sure what I'm going to do about that, except just watch her. And Jack and I, my husband and I, we have our finances have diminished. So that's scary, too. So there's lots of reasons to not have hope as I enter 2022 or to have fear and despair be my lead card. But that doesn't jive with who God is and who God says God is and who God says I am and what he has in store for me and what he has in store for you. So how do we hang on to hope in the face of all these threats, in the face of all these fearful diminishings in our, in our lives? And um, the only way we can do that is if we hang on to the hope that if we allow our hope to be secured in the hope, the hope, in the God who always loves, 
who acts on behalf of the widows and orphans and the oppressed in whatever form they they appear. We we have to secure our hope in the hope that um, faces reality and yet gives us an anchor to keep us safe and secure. So um, I'd like to transition into some of the content that I prepared with a prayer, if you'll join me. So loving God, we admit that life is in some ways hard, in many ways delightful. And in some ways, we admit that it could get worse before it gets better. But we also admit that you are our hope. You are the anchor that holds us tight. You you are the ship upon which we sit that can stand the ups and downs of the waves of the world and yet remain safe and secure because our hope, we have our hope in the reality that is bigger than us. So we just pray that you'll encourage us today and buoy us and help us live in the reality of the God who loves us and intends our best. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So as I mentioned, hope, um, let's start first with what hope is not. Hope is not a wish, like, oh, I wish I could win the lottery. (laughs) That's kind of just an empty kind of dream, a wish. And hope is not um, a last last, um, effort or last gasp of hope. Like, you know, if you're a a loved one, you know, is very sick and there seems little hope that that they'll live or survive or thrive. And you you think, oh, I hope and I pray that they get better because it's all you've got. You know, it's not really an active, it's kind of a hope that's passive, that's given up. And that's not really the biblical hope we're going to talk about. And it's also, hope is not just an optimistic attitude. It's not Pollyanna-ish. It doesn't see the good in every situation. Like I said, it faces reality. And it acknowledges that, you know, it's bad and it could get worse. But no matter how bad it gets, God will be with us and all will be well. It's a certainty. It's a hope for outcome. Hope is only as valuable as the person or the thing in which we hope. So we have to figure out in whom we hope and let that the strength of that character or our relationship to that character be what allows us to be confident and fill us with the hope. I found this interesting. Hope is one of three main elements in the Christian character, along with faith and love and faith is the belief that the god who that god is who god says he is so we believe that god is who god says he is that's one of the character primary characteristics of our christian belief and the second love is the action of this good god in our lives so we have faith that god is who he says he is and we have um love and love is the way that God acts out in in our lives and in our world. And then the third one, hope, is the expectation of this good to be realized in our lives and in this world. So faith believes it, believes God is who God is, believes God's love is going to act toward us on our behalf for our good. And somehow faith has a favorable and a confident outcome. You know, as um, 
I heard Cher allude to in her prayer, um, St. Julian of Norwich said, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. So whatever it is, whatever's going on in our life, we hope has this confidence that all will be well. Whatever is happening, it shall be made well. And that gives us some element of authority over the despair and the fear that might raise up in our lives because we know who we believe and we know what God is capable of and we know God's intention for us. So how does how does um, how do we hold this confident and brave hope? Well, um, it was read. Vinny read uh, Hebrews six nine, excuse me, six eighteen a through twenty eighteen b through twenty a, and and it tells us that hope is an anchor fixed in heaven. It's steady. It's unbreakable, even though it's beaten by storms. We can't see where it's secured because it's behind the veil, but we know it's there because our boat hasn't been driven out to the sea or sunk. And it's an image of solid solidity and steadiness and constancy and invincibility. And we're encouraged to seize the hope, hang on to it, keep it practical and real. That's a wonderful um, promise about hope from God's word. And then I'd like you to read 1 Corinthians 15, 19 and 20. And that says, see, oh, no, that's one I just read. If, oh, this is 1 Corinthians 15, 19 and 20. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are all, of all people, must be pitied. But in fact, in, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. So our hope is not just about Christ, but our hope is in the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead. With that word, the box is blown open. Anything's possible. If if life can come again from after after death has come, there's no um, limits. We can think outside the box. We can. We're invited to imagine a different world. Not not bound by the ceasing of our breathing. It's wonderful to consider that hope, and I. I First, I want to tell you a story that kind of illustrates that. Um, Jack and I both have run marathons in the past, and I was training for this. This was the first marathon we were training for, and we weren't very knowledgeable about how to uh, train. We got a book, we read it, and we tried to follow all the instructions. And so each weekend, we added distance to our training. And on this was um, th- on this particular weekend, we were running from our home in San Francisco over the Golden Gate Bridge um, to Sausalito, which is a town from, a, it was gonna be about a 15 mile run. And um, so, and I run slower than Jack. So I always started the event first so he could, we would end at approximately the same time. And at about mile 10, I ran out of it. I ran out of gas. I couldn't keep going. I was, I was dead. There was no way I could live to run 10 more, five more miles. 
So I even pulled off the, the stretch of road I was running on and walked along some where some residential houses were because I was desperate. I go, I didn't have any money. I drank all my water. I uh, thought, well, maybe somebody here could, will let me borrow their phone. I could, or drive me to where I'm going. I don't know. I had no hope of finishing this course. And so I sat down and I sat on the curb and I had my hand, head, head in my hands and I was just despairing about how I could accomplish what I hoped to accomplish, but didn't have the ability to pull it off. And a car pulls up next to me and there are two young women sitting in the car and they go, excuse me, um, but we're trying to get to Sausalito because we have, we're meeting some friends at a, a brunch place there. Could you tell us how to get there? And I said, well, if you take me there, I'll tell you, I'll direct you there because that's exactly where I was headed. And I had no way of getting there. And suddenly my hope that was dead previously got blown out of the box and awakened. And so I crawled in the car with these women and they drove me to, um, to, to towards Sausalito. But then I'm embarrassed to admit this on our way, I saw Jack still running along the trail. And so I, I, honestly, at first I tried to hide so Jack wouldn't see me. I was embarrassed that I couldn't make it. But then I uh, said, oh, my conscience got me. I go, oh, stop, stop, let me out. Um, we'll, there's my husband, we'll make it the rest of the way. And this was, by this time, there was only like two miles left to go. So we made it. But I just think that's a beautiful picture of the way what, of how you, you do everything you can to try to make your hope be true, be realized. And you can't do it on your own effort. You've given, you've given up letting the dream die. And God miraculously provides a way to help us hold on, to endure, and to reach our hope's outcome. That's a, that's a picture of how if I just hoped in my ability to run, I'd be a fool. But if I hoped that Christ could provide me power to run when I didn't, or to get to my hoped for end when I didn't have the power, that's a miracle. That's hope. So yay, God. The second, um, the next scripture I want to read is from 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 3. And Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The phrase that stood out, stood out for me in that scripture is a new hope, a living hope, a hope that's active, vibrant, expectant, ready to move. Anything's possible. And um, the the place I got the title for this sermon is from a poem a friend of mine wrote. And she wrote this poem when her adult son committed suicide. And um, it was very tragic. And um, he committed suicide on their front lawn, shot himself. And of course, she blamed herself, et cetera, et cetera. But she eventually got to the place where she wrote this. Don't pray for me. Pray for him. The wise ones knew I had it backwards, willing to trade my soul for yours. I still wanted control. What happens to the dead? Is it even possible to reject life? I'm praying for safe passage, you wrote. To what? To where? What were you thinking? 
You took nothing but my blithe beliefs that the nest was safe, that prayers are answered. You took nothing but yourself, that is. Lost in the pain, I want to, I want to say you took my hope. Oh, lost in the pain, I want to say you took my hope, but that's not true. Hope persists. Shelter me under your wings, oh God. With a nod to Emily Dickinson. I think there's nothing more important than hope in a person's life. It's the hope at the heart of every human being. Even my friend's son, who, who took his own life, did so in the hope that death would be a better than this life he was experiencing. Hope keeps faith alive by remembering death is not the end of the story. It's not the last word. Christ's resurrection proves that and changes the story. So hope persists. Hope gives us um, unexpected ways of living and victory. Hope faces the reality that it's not going to be easy, but it is going to be true. So let's explore our hope for a second. Uh, unless we get in touch with our hopes, we, we remain stagnant and immobile. Hope fuels our life's activities. So at this point, at the beginning of 22, I'd like for you to consider what you what you hope for, what desire motivates your actions, what rainbow's end are you chasing? Jesus often asks his followers a form of a, a form of the question, "What do you want?" You see it lots of places in the scriptures where Jesus interacts people who are seeking him, and if you see it in the scripture, it's a model for the kingdom life. So we, as Jesus's disciples, can also let him ask us that question. What is it you want? What can I do for you? And I'd like to go to Mark 10 to kind of see how he handled that question with a couple of his disciples. Boldly, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? I think that's a pretty bold statement to go up to Jesus to ask him to do for you whatever you want to have done in your life but they did and so if, it, if they can do it in scriptures we're also invited to go to Jesus and tell him Jesus exactly what we want and what we think we need and um and so just like James and John they didn't hide it or pretend it was something else they asked for their heart's desire and Jesus took it you know they didn't pretty it up they didn't make it sound spiritual or whatever it may be and i think god honors that kind of we don't have to do that either we can just go to god and say god i want to be healed of cancer i, I want to be done with it and all the friends i know and love who are suffering from it too i want us to all have a clean bill of health that's not pretty that's not, you know it's selfish um but yet it's my true heart and i know god desires truth in our inner heart so if the come i'm going to have a conversation with god about what i hope for it's got to start raw and real so and when we kind of get down and dirty with god about our heart's desires that's when we god's allowed to enter into our heart because it says um god gives us the desires of our heart and so when we begin to talk about it we begin to have an opportunity for us to not only um be honest with ourselves and with god about what we long for it also um 
gives God the opportunity to show us areas in our life where our, our hopes are not, not profitable or they are selfish or they are um, desiring power or something like that. So it, asking God for what you truly want begins a conversation um, about the, the perfecting of your heart. Um, Jesus in Mark says to the two disciples that come to him, you, you do not know what you are asking for. And so I love it how Jesus gently reminds them that they're limited in their vision, their power and their understanding. They think they know what would be best for them and they only hold one, but they only hold one little part of the story. They cannot comprehend the big picture, which is about so much more than their own small wants and desires. We ask Jesus for what we want. And then we stay in the conversation with Jesus when what we want does not materialize. It forces us to look beyond the request of our nature to the nature of our relationship with God. Is God a vending machine there to service my needs? If God doesn't give me what I want, what am I going to do? Take my ball and go home? It really reveals the character of our relationship with Christ. And hopefully, if you stay in the conversation and you work through it long enough, you come to the realization that I trust that God wills whatever is best for me. If God doesn't give me what I ask of him, then maybe what I would want might, might not be what's best for me. Hmm. Maybe. At least it's op it opens our mind to allow hope to expand our understanding of what life could be for us and what, we, what God wants for us for our life. And so, like, for me, at this point in my life, um, I want a life that basically is useful for the kingdom of God. I wake up each morning eager to hear God's voice of love to, to me personally, and then to share it in my writing and my words and my life with the people God gives me to love. That's, that's my goal, my dream, my hope. Um, I really enjoy... Uh, creating opportunities for people to connect with God. But then it makes me wonder, if this is my greatest desire, why do I spend so much idle time? And I confess I do. And I that takes me to the next question. Well, what hinders my hope being realized? If I've got this very clear cut desire, and it seems like it's good for me, good for God, good for the world, why do I not pursue it why do I let things get in the way of it and um for me sadly my answer is really ugly and boring because moving toward my hope it's hard is hard work and I'm lazy <laughs> I'm lazy it takes less energy and attention to play a video com computer game or to knit a project or to eat a cookie than it does those things only require my attention and my um Object, uh, what's the word? Um, brain went, it only requires my attention and my addictive, that's the word, my addictive nature. It doesn't, it doesn't require my heart or my soul. All, all it requires me to pay attention to the video problem and that drives other things away. The, way, the, the only thing I've found 
that aids me in saying no to those hindrances to hope and yes to my deepest desire is to keep my eyes fixed on the prize. I think that's the only antidote to my wasted time. It's the only thing that allows me to hold fast to my deepest dreams, to keep my hope alive. Especially now, since I, I'm fighting cancer, I have to keep my thick eyes and my hope fixed on Christ. You know, I have some symptoms of being treated for cancer and of the cancer being ravaging in my body. And so my, I mean, they're legitimate hindrances to my being active and pursuing God's kingdom, but I can learn to honor them and respect them and not hide behind them because it would be easy to say, oh, I'm fatigued because I have cancer treatment. I don't feel like doing anything. But if I keep my eye fixed on the prize, that is that I'm going to get to heaven having run the good race and I hear the well done of my faithful savior to me. I want that more than I want to lay around on a couch and play a computer game. So keeping my eyes fixed on what my hope for goal is gives me power to say no to the hindrances that would hold back my hope. And keeping my eyes fixed on the end product of my hope also gives me the power to endure the hard work of having to wait for it to be realized. I have a scripture, a final scripture I'd like to read, I think. It's Romans um, 5, 2 through 5. And Paul says, we boast in our hope. We boast in our hope. And the hope we boast in is sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces endurance. Or another word would be patience, not impatience. Suffering produces patience. And our endurance or patience produces character. Enduring patiently refines our character. When we endure patiently, we have to allow the parts of us that are impatient or demanding or greedy to be lifted up to the light of Christ. And Christ can use his sandpaper to smooth our rough edges of our character. So we boast in the hope of sharing God's glory and hope of the resurrection. And we boast in the suffer in our suffering because suffering produces patience. And patience produces character. And character produces hope. So if we want to maintain a healthy hope, we have to acquire a patient character. And that's doable in, as we carry on. And hope does not disappoint, says Paul, influenced by the Holy Spirit, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. Now, this when I read this, I, I got a little excited, but then a little flummoxed because it says, and hope does not disappoint us. Hmm. The thing about hope is that if we have what we want, if we have what we desire, we don't need hope because we have it. Somehow, though, we, we according to the scriptures, 
we must live, we must continually live in anticipation of what is promised, but not realized. Jeremiah, the prophet in 29, verse, excuse me, chapter 29, verse 11, tells us that God has plans for us, plans that include a peace and a future hope. This means the satisfaction of our longings will continue to be just beyond us if we have a future full of hope. We have a future full of not yet quite accessing the thing that will never disappoint us. If, if hope were realized, why would, be, why would we even need hope? And I, I think I, you know, windows, you know, peephole into why we need hope going forward. I think it's because every desire we have points to a beyond desire. When I was a kid, some of you have heard me tell this story. When I was a kid, I wanted to be Japanese. In my mind, they were very pretty. They were very demure. These Japanese ladies, they were serving and they were, you know, attractive because of who they were and not how they looked and how they acted. And I mean, did I really want to be Japanese? Well, I think wanting to be a Japanese lady pointed to a longing that was deeper in my heart that was beyond the surface of the, being a Japanese lady. What I was really desiring was to be found beautiful, humble, and caring. It took the form of admiring and wanting to be Japanese, but my true heart's desire was bigger than that. It was me wanting to be found useful, humble, serving, beautiful in the presence of, in my person. Every desire ultimately points us to God's very self and the person God intended us to be. I think in reality, pure hope eliminates all desires, but the desire for God and all, all and all that God wants to bring about in my life. And I'm serious. You could take anything you desire, like, hmm, I want a sandwich. <laughs> so why do you want a sandwich? Well, you want a sandwich because you're hungry. And why are you hungry? It's because you're missing something in your, um, in your body or your system. And why do, why do we need a sandwich to satisfy this hunger in us? It's because God truly wants us to be satisfied. God wants us to be pleasantly um, fed and satisfied. So it's the, the longing in our hung, stomach for hunger reminds us that we long to be fed by God. So just, I dare you to pick anything you want and peel back the layers and see how it's really pointing you to the, the God who can ultimately satisfy that, that need or that desire. Uh, one of my teachers, uh, George MacDonald, he's a 19th century Scottish pa pastor and author of fairy tales, puts these words into the mouth of his physically deformed wisdom character, Polworth, in his novel, The Curate's Awakening. There is a, this is the um, physically deformed wisdom character speaking. There is a great difference between I wish I were and I would like to be, to be content is not to be satisfied. No one ought to be satisfied with the imperfect. It is God's will that we should contentedly bear what he gives us. 
but at the same time, we can look forward with hope to the redemption of the body. And if we can look forward with hope to the redemption of our body, we can also look forward in hope to the redemption of our emotions and our relationships, our lacks and our unsatisfied longings. We are wounded, it's true, we are wounded, but we have the hope of healing. We feel we are missing out, but we must look forward with hope for the union and intimacy that we will gain. We must, we must bear what we have and what we don't have for union and, and with patience and hold stubbornly to the hope of perfection and complete satisfaction. It's a tightrope we must walk. Only keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus can we navigate it. So as we enter 2022, let us persist in hope. Let us admit what we want, what we long for, and let the power of the resurrected Christ help us move toward, eliminate any of the obstacles that would come in the way of our acquiring and living from that hope, that hope that is always just out of reach because it's perfect union with Christ, but it's promised and it, our characters being formed in order to bear that weight of glory. Um, this, the subject of hope got, caught my attention maybe about five years ago when I did that retreat I was telling you about earlier. And there's a quote from St. Augustine in that, um, that fueled that uh, desire to, to pursue the idea of hope. And it's attributed to St. Augustine. And he said, Hope has two beloved daughters, anger at what is wrong in the world or in your life, and then courage to do something about it. So as we begin 2022, I encourage us to get in touch with our hope, get in touch with what we long to see happen in our lives or in our world, and then figure out ways that it's being hindered. What it, Am I blocking that hope being realized in some way, like I was with my laziness and my boredom? Or is there something in my environment or in the world that's making hope not be realized? And then ask yourself, well, what can I do about it? Is there anything I can do to make it come um, more easily available in my life? And um, if one of the hopes, one of the desires that live inside you is a desire to kind of freshen up your relationship with God and, and view Christ from a new, view Christ in a new angle, I'd like to share an opportunity. This is a word from your sponsor. Oh, you disabled my screen, screen sharing. That's okay. I'll tell you about it. I had it prepped to show you, but I'll tell you what it is instead. I'm doing a six-week course on making the new old. It's a six-week course where you look at six old familiar ways of meeting God and, and letting God um, show you new ways to meet God. And they, it starts with like, who is my image of God? And who am I? And what's my purpose? And how do I connect with God? What if I screw up and sin? Where can I read, renew my hope in that kind of setting? So I will send the information to um, 
you also you can have it in your bulletin or whatever. And I, if you any of you subscribe to my almost daily prayer, um, there's a little description of it on on that. So I guess there's one final thing I would like to say about hope, and then we'll um, end our time together. Um, about 15 years ago or so, I was a pastor at a church and things happened in the church. There was dissension in the church and it fell apart and it was very divisive. And there was us versus them. It was just so unkingdom like it was very frightening. And so I wasn't going to be a part of that church any longer. And it was that church was the um, foundation or the, the venue through which my ministry took place. As you know, as I said, my heart's desire is to create opportunities for people to connect with God. And then it, it disappeared, it melted. And um, I was very despairing and I was, had lack of hope about the future because I felt I had no other uh, platform to offer my ministry. And so I went on this little prayer retreat and I prayed, um, and I'd like to share my prayer with you. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. So you're not just watching me read from a piece of paper. And um, just let this scene come alive as you, as you hear it prayed from my point of view. It's the Gospel of Mark, verses 46 through 52. So if you don't mind closing your eyes. I call it a parable. I wasn't always blind, I was made blind through the innocent act of my brother. He was attempting a job beyond his skill, and the job got away from him, blinding me. He didn't intend any harm, he's not to blame, but nevertheless, his need to do the job without help cost me my sight. You may ask, where was our father? Isn't it the father's job to guard us, keep us from danger, wisely judging when we were ready for the job? My brother and I were products of his love, a love that loved well, but not always with wisdom. My father is not to blame, but nevertheless, his hesitancy in saying no cost me my sight. I am now a beggar. I don't know how to beg. I used to walk this thoroughfare as a sighted, important person. The beggars on the side of the road were inconsequential to my inquiry, excuse me, to my journey, white noise. Now I am one of them and I must learn to beg without even eyes to watch them to see how it is done. Yet somehow within me, there is an optimism, muted but real. Not Pollyanna-ish, but a hope that all can be well. Some might call it denial, I don't. I feel it as a confidence. No, that's too strong a descriptor. It is more a trust in good. All will somehow be well. The hubbub of the crowd along the thoroughfare is constant, but I sense its voice changing. It's becoming more focused in its attention. There is someone important coming toward me on the road. I can tell by the tone of the crowd. I hear that the one coming toward me is Jesus. I've heard of him. I've heard how he has healed. I've heard how he, how he sees people, the crowd or the important people do not see. Maybe he can hear me. I yell out toward him, calling his name, reminding him of his heritage and begging, not for alms or aid, but for mercy. I can get alms from any passerby. 
but they have no mercy for me. I long for Jesus to see me and realize that my dilemma is not my fault, to maybe use his reputed healing power to heal me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My voice persists. In fact, it builds. I'm aware of the crowd trying to quiet me, but instead they are quieted as I sense Jesus has stopped. My voice alone is heard, almost a whisper now in the hush. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I am Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. I am in need of your mercy. In the quiet, I hear your call, your call to come to you. Your desire for me advances to me through the crowd. Come. Unchecked, I spring up and rush to you, groping arms outstretched because I'm not sure what's in front of me. Unaware of the crowd, who in retrospect, I realize must have parted to make a way for me to follow your call, I come to you and fall on your chest. My head is buried in your embrace. I smell your closeness. I feel your arms. I sink into your strength. I hear your voice. What do you want? I want my life back. I want a ministry. I want to be used for your work, for your sake, for the kingdom. You hold me while I weep into your shoulder. Minutes pass, maybe hours, maybe seconds, I don't know, time stood still. When you finally speak, you commend me and say to me that my trust in you, my faith in your power to restore has made me well. I'm not aware of any faith on my part. I know only my need to be near you in my desperation. Yet when I open my eyes while, you, while still tucked in your embrace, I see the crowds watching me lean on you. I can again see, and I see the people observing me depend on you. They see my clinging to you, and you say, this is your ministry now. Let them see your utter dependence on me. Let them see your continued leading on me. Clinging to me, relying on my mercy. This is your life and your ministry now. I physically let go of clinging to you so I can follow as you lead, yet I carry this truth within me. My true self will always be clinging to you, and I will let them, let the crowd, let the people see my need of you. Amen. You know, in the, since I've been diagnosed with cancer and I write this, these daily prayers, the, the prayers I write each day just come from my heart. They come from my gut. They're not scripted or, you know, oh, what should I pray about? It's like, it's my gut, my heart's prayer. And I've been told how much more intimate and authentic and real they are. And I realized that my prayer, my heart's desire is being manifest in a way I never expected. And that fuels my hope fuels my hope that God is not done with me. God will continue to use me as long as I cling to him. And I let you all know how much I depend upon Christ for life. And I pray that your hopes will be realized in such a manner that you will know the source of your hope and the source of power of your hope. And you will cling to Jesus and walk through the world, following him and letting people know the source of your hope. So in 2022, let's Hang on to hope and let's let hope persist in us and not let us go. Amen.
thank you all for that. I feel like I've talked a long time and usually you're in person, you can see people reacting. So I hope I haven't bored you all to sleep. But at any rate, um, I pray that the Lord has touched one piece of God's heart to your heart during this.